rarely do we shed light on how the indigenous ways provide sustainable ways of caring for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to shed light on the negative. I want to really shed light on the positive Mm -hmm. of what we have, of the gems that we have in our culture that we're ignoring and why it is that we're ignoring it. And that's when decolonization comes in, that it is because of the colonized mind and the colonized way of doing things that we are ignoring these gems that we have and it's hurting us. Bear of the Free Child is a weekly podcast that centers diverse narratives, insightful commentary, learning with our children and de-schooling ourselves, owning our multiple identities and treating children with dignity, creating community and sharing conversation from often silenced spaces, breathing life into liberation practices proactively and on purpose. It's about parenting. It's about self-directed education, loving. It's about learning, liberatory practices. Defining love for ourselves and giving our love to as much of the world as it can possibly contain. Let's find each other. Let's support each other. All of these stories are important and should be shared. When I decided that I wanted to reach out to Moji, to talk about birth work and self-mothering and also her journey as a new unschooling mother, I didn't realize how much of a connection there is between the process that we go through to be born, the process that we go through as the person being born and even as the mother or even as the father being involved in the process, that birthing journey there's a very interesting parallel between that birthing journey and the the journey of sort of rebirthing or refamiliarizing yourself with you when you become an unschooler. Because the de-schooling process, which I also refer to as the ongoing decolonization process, there's pain, there's presence, there's growth, there's fear. There, there's so many things that are similar. And so I didn't expect to um, make that connection. And I'm really, really looking forward to your feedback on what kind of aha moments you have as you listen to Moji and me chop it up. Let's get into it. We are on with Moji and Moji is a doula based in the Gainesville area in Florida. She really just works with women around their, their birthing journey, really taking ownership of that. She is also a mother and a new unschooler So I wanted to have Moji on to talk about her process in mothering herself, the type of mothering she does in her work, and why she decided to transition into unschooling. Welcome, Moji. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. So as you said, I'm a doula, which is someone who helps women during their pregnancy and also labor and birth and postpartum, and a birth companion as of a sort. And in that sense, I'm also, the term you you use a lot, self-mothering, comes up a lot as a birth worker because you really have to take care of yourself and have to always constantly check in with yourself as you grow and as you also help people to go through this um, event in their lives. This past year, I went back home to, I'm from Benin, West Africa, and I haven't been in a long time, but I went this past year. After graduating from college, it was a big uh, gift to myself 
<laughs> and awesome. um, <laughs> yes, so it was a very, very intense. It was beautiful, but it was also just a life changing trip. How long had it been? It had been oh, like twelve years. Wow, it's been okay. a long time. Yeah. So yeah, and it was also my daughter's first time going. I really wanted her to experience it, and yeah. So we went and were there for a few months. Coming back, it was. Um, it just really changed. It was a time when I was like, all right, things have to change. The things that I really want, I have to do it. And, you know, so it was very impacting for me in that sense. Yeah. And when you went, your your daughter, how old was she? She turned six over there. Okay. And and that's how old she is now. Is that Was that a very recent trip? We came back earlier this year. Okay. So she just turned seven. Nice. Okay. And so you said, um, I remember one of the things that you posted and I actually shared it on the Fear of the Free Child account on Instagram. There was so much resonance with them around your perception of schooling, having been formally educated through the process and then now being a mother and, you know, sort of looking at it through a different lens. Could you share a little bit about what that post was about, Moji, and some of the things you gathered from that experience with your daughter being in school in Africa and your own observations of schools here as well? Yes. Um, so struggled with school here for a long time, especially coming when I first came to the U.S. and on and on till college. I struggled a lot and I quit a few times. Mm, how old and, were you um, when you started school here? I was in the fourth grade. I was nine years old. Okay. Okay. Same. I was 10 and mm -hmm. I was in the fourth grade when I first came to the country too. That was such yeah. a tough year that first year. Oh my God. Yeah, and it seems nine nine is also such a, a formative year. I don't know what it is, but I feel I feel like it's a it's just a, I don't know maybe because of my experience, but also when I meet children, nine years old is just no. I agree a, a fully. Yes, yeah. my my daughters are ten and twelve, and I would agree with you completely on that. That's so interesting, and that number too nine is a significant number <laughs> as well. Yes. Like, yeah, so that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so you so you came here at nine and you had a rough time. You even quit a few times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now that I think back, I was telling my parents a lot in different ways by skipping school. I didn't skip school to go have fun. I skipped <laughs> just to not, I just did not like school. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I told my parents in a lot of different ways. They knew that I didn't like school. They just didn't, um, they didn't know of any other choices and they didn't really then you weren't open to other choices. You just go to school because you're smart girl. You can do it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, you know, so I've always struggled with that. And in college, um, I, I quit midway through college and went to f what they call find myself. But mm -hmm. but it um to really just surround myself with, I wanted to like to learn again. And I knew that I'd, I always loved learning, but I wanted to really reconnect myself with what I like to learn. Mm -hmm. And that's how I found midwifery and um, birth work. Ah. After I quit college, and did that. Mm -hmm. Which yeah, is so great. It's also... like so many of us find ourselves outside of schooling. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. And actually, ironically, that's when schooling will be helpful after you're clear on what you want to do. Then you can go to school with the very specific intention of nurturing something you're already exactly. into. As opposed to the other way around. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I did after after that. I went back and I was able to complete. But all this was in my mind with my daughter. And um, when she was very young, I worked at a daycare. So she was with me. 
but she did go to a daycare. Mm-hmm. And then there was a school here that I really liked. And I was like, okay, if she's going to go to school. I'll take her to that school. It's mm-hmm. um, it's a small charter school. It's black owned. I know the people who own it. All her teachers will be people, women of color and men of color. And they just really focus on also teaching the history of Florida and black people in Florida. So I was very excited for her to go there. But while she was there, I still wasn't comfortable because there was still a lot of pressure because it's a black school. They put a lot of pressure on the kids with homework. They really wanted to be an A school. Mm. And, you know, even though Senna loved to learn, she started to, like, really hate doing homework. And, you know, she's only, what, six years old. So <laughs> I told her, you don't have to do it. Yeah. And things like that started to come up and even going to the testing that they were doing. I always knew I didn't want her to do testing. Why so all, all those things were, oh, the test, because it's so much pressure, too much pressure and, and the tests are ridiculously irrelevant to anything, <laughs> you know, in life. Yeah. She would just be memorizing. They're just completely, it's just, it's just stupid. It's just a waste of time. Yeah, I <laughs> hear sorry. you. And no, it's just a and, waste of time. And you know what comes up for me? What's so interesting, Moji, is that For me, as a Caribbean woman, you know, being from Jamaica, you as a West African woman, we come from these backgrounds where education, whatever it looks like, and really the the more strict, the better from our background, what education looks like and the importance of it makes it mandatory. It's like crazy mandatory. And we have a lot of pressure, especially when we're living in America from somewhere else to excel. And I'm always curious about how other people who come from these sorts of backgrounds, how we can, despite that background, stand out and say, you know what? Nah, Mm -mm. I don't know what any other model might look like, but I know that this testing, as you said, most of this is so highly irrelevant. Or why should she be stressed about homework at six? Why should she not enjoy learning? What do you think it was in you, Moji, that allowed you to say, I'm going to look at an alternative for my daughter before we even continue the story? Well, that reminds me of something that happened when I was in the eighth grade, because my father, he's a PhD doctor, one of those very intellectual, Mm -hmm. do things, get A's, get A's kind of person. And so, you know, my grades were slipping. And so they had the talk with me and they always made me feel like they knew I was smart. They knew I was smart. They knew I can do it. They just wanted me to do it. So for that one semester, I worked hard. I got all A's and then I stopped. <laughs> I can't do it. I just don't want right. to do it. And so I think that is what was in me that that I wanted to trust my daughter and let her know that I know you're smart. And this is not this school. These teachers are not the ones that are going to let me know that you're smart. Nice. You're you. smart. And I know that. And I want you to now pick what you want to do and do it well. It's not you checking off this and um, bubbling in this thing, these mm-hmm. circles that are going to let me know that you're smart mm. and let me judge you and let me punish you and, you know, and all those things. Yeah. I I don't want to punish and, and get into fights about school when I know that I didn't fit into that environment, but I also knew that I was I was and I am smart person. So I wanted to kind of that was very important to me to embrace and let my daughter know that. Yes, yes. So it was your personal why that stood out above the ways that you were socialized and the things that you observed. Yeah. Got it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. 
So you're in school, you're not enjoying it at all, but you're going through the motions. And where were we in the story? I think I was telling you about my daughter's school, yes. how I liked it, and but, but then I was also not... Uh, there were a lot of things about it that I still didn't like. Mm-hmm. And um, and so when we went to Benin, which, by the way, we, we went in the middle of the school year, I didn't even think about it. But people were like, wait, she's supposed to be in school? And I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> she will be. Oh, well, that's OK. Yeah. <laughs> we're still leaving anyway. But um, so we traveled to Benin. And so I wanted her to experience school there. I don't know why, but I, I just wanted her to experience school there also. And just also to, for her to make some friends and to get to know people her age and to just, you know, mm-hmm. be immersed in it, mm-hmm. in the culture. So I found a, there was a school that wasn't too far from my father's place where we were staying. So she was going there and... I don't know. It was uh, it was an interesting experience. Like she made friends. She definitely has some bully and mm-hmm. people, even the teachers, because you're a foreigner. They there's a lot of animosity slash jealousy slash whatever mm. some feelings there. But what I found was that because I volunteered there one day and I was talking to the kids. We were talking about traveling mm-hmm. and the kids are taught very, it was, it's all memorization. They memorize and they weren't where they say they are in, in uh, like reading and stuff like that. Because right. Even, even by their own like, standards, they were right. <laughs> yeah, by their own standards, because they will memorize this whole page and like say it to you as if they're reading it, but they're not. Because when I was actually kind of talking to them and trying to get them to say different words, they actually couldn't say it. So it's because I was talking to them about traveling. So, you know, me, first of all, my family moving to the U.S. and then me coming back and things like that. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about language. And I started to speak to them in the local language, which is Fongbe. Mm-hmm. And the teachers were like, they can't speak Fongbe there. And the teacher was like very adamant about, oh, these kids, because they go to school, their parents are very intellectual people. They, they only speak French. He was like reassuring me that they only speak French, you know, trying to impress me. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and the kids were like, Totally understanding, and we're about to respond in <laughs> their language. Because it's just, <laughs> yes. you know, it was it was just like this facade that he was trying to impress me, not knowing that I'm actually not very at all impressed by that. Yeah, and I can be. see that the kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the kids yeah. totally so, understood you. Isn't that crazy how that happens across the board? Because it is the very same thing in Jamaica, Moji. We have our Jamaican patois. Right. And then we have the, the Queen's English, the standard British accented English. And it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. You would never, a teacher would never be okay with a child speaking in Patois. But the yeah. minute you step outside of the classroom, that is what you speak. That's how you communicate exactly. with the people around you. So if language is about communication, why not treat it like another one as opposed to a negative one? Yes. Mm. And in doing that, you're making people already behind. Yes. Like in, in saying that from your home to this school, you can't bring your home to this school. You're already saying that they're behind yes. because they've grown up learning this. Yep. There's no catching up from there because you're already telling them that 
they are behind. It's right. Just, You've designated that as a, as a lesser space in some way. And it also starts that idea of a, a almost like a, a lessening or a disregard for your own culture, Think aspects of, of your own culture yes. too. So then you start to listen yeah. to your grandma and your mom and you're like, oh my gosh, why would they still speak like that? You start to devalue aspects of your own culture. Yes, yes. And that is, yeah. And in while there also, I met different people, family members and also distance, just women. I, I will talk to women a lot, especially because of childbirth. Mm-hmm. I met um, one particular woman who was, who just had a baby and the, she, the bath that she was giving, there was a, she soaked like these roots and herbs in a big pot that she used to bathe the baby every day. And so, and then she did different things that I was really impressed. I was not impressed, but I made an impression on me and I was asking her questions about it. Mm-hmm. And she was just very brilliant and, and had a lot that I wanted to learn about, you know, yeah. being that I'm, I do that kind of work. But she just thought so low of herself because she didn't go to school. And that really kind of like broke my heart because I was like, you know so much, <laughs> you know, you know, you know so much that people would need to learn. And that's one thing that it really it affects the way we, we see ourselves, the way we see our surroundings and the way we value the things that we do. Yes. And that's why, you know, it's hard for us, people who feel like that, cannot produce and really be um, competitive in the world if they feel like they're not worthy or they don't have the confidence. Exactly. And then we turn around and vilify and blame those same people and say that they're not doing everything they need to do. And if we can do this, then they can do that too. But those skills aren't (laughs) valued in society. So if you don't have the letters behind your name or, you know, whatever the thing is, it's like your efforts are not regarded. However, (laughs) a lot of these same historical and cultural things that are happening, as you said, the bath she used and all of that, those are the things now that all the moneyed people and all the people in power are just discovering. And I'm using discovery in air quotes, right? Because these things have been in place. Yeah. So this is why I was so excited too about you being on the show as a birth worker, as a doula, really trying to help us to Refamiliarize ourselves with a lot of these natural ways of taking care of ourselves and these natural ways of going through very difficult processes, right? Because just as birth can be a difficult process, the same thing raising a child, the same thing deciding on your learning journey, all of these things are forms of birth. These are things we're giving birth to. And in the work that you do, there's a lot of just showing us how we can take care of ourselves, you know, over at Little by Little and how birth and wellness are connected and, you know, just how all of those things are connected to not just giving birth, but living <laughs> once you're born, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And how really to, to trust the process and to trust yourself and your intuition. Mm. It's um, a lot of trusting your intuition because even like my brother, he was one, definitely an unschooler. He never from high school, he didn't want, he never liked school like me, but he was much more, um, much more adamant about it. But you know, the feelings that you have, if you don't have confidence in your intuition, then it's a negative thing. Like, I wish I knew when I, when I was like, so uncomfortable in school, even when I quit school, I wish I didn't, you know, wasn't so hard on myself. And Mm. like, he wasn't like a failure. It was more like, 
this is just not for me and there's a good reason why it's not for me. So even knowing that and being confident and knowing and to trust your intuition is so important in in unschooling and also in birth. It's it's a lot of what I do with women is teaching them to really listen to their intuition and to trust it more than any other person's opinion to not go to that doctor looking up, but to really be looking within themselves and to be listening to that intuition. Because you know, you would know when things are going well and you know you have a feeling when things are not going well. (laughs) I had to stop here and say how relevant that is because for those of us in unschooling or really any form of self-directed education for that matter, that is really one of our greatest intentions it's that our children feel confident in themselves, you know, that they trust themselves and that this is happening prior to adulthood. All right. So let's pick back up. You are at the school and the staff is trying to impress you, <laughs> letting you know that the students only speak French. They do not speak the Fon dialect of um, Fongbe and you realize that actually they understood you just fine. And as a matter of fact, they were starting to respond to you in Fongbe as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So that just made me realize that, okay, so school back home, even I remember going to school there and I remember the issues, but um, it was also a little bit more romanticized for me because I was younger. So this really <laughs> kind of brought it back to reality that that's that, um, what's going on here. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm, that is still very much it's just the colonization. And you kids, if what's in school is not relevant to your life, you can't now fix your environment because you're taken out of there and made to think about something else for most of your day. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you're just constantly made to want to escape or not want to be where you are. So you can't really fix where you are if you're constantly thinking of ways to get out or ways to, or if you're just never there. (laughs) Yes, especially if you're not valuing the place too. Like you're so right about that. Yeah, Yeah, I never even thought about that aspect, Moji. That makes so much sense to me. How can we then turn around and create spaces where people can solve problems in their communities If the whole point is to try to escape it and detach yourself from it culturally, literally, uh, you know, all of the ways. Mm. Yes. And so, yeah, and being there really brought that home because there's so much to be done. And so it really makes you see that when kids are just being taught constantly to ignore (laughs) their environment Mm -hmm. and to daydream about some other faraway place that's the answer to all their questions, it, it can't be done. Or it will be done in a way that is exploitative, like in a way that is uh, people who, when they're in power, they just want to get, 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 get. Right. And then that's it. So that they're not really thinking about how to contribute to their, and they're not valuing their environment or their people. At all. Because they look at people who don't get the formal school education as less than, truly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And these are women, a lot of the market women, they can do they economics, math in like at least three languages. 
And, you know, even though they can't, they, they can't speak French, they'll tell you the, you know, they'll do numbers for you in French if they know, because a lot of their customers come there speaking French, or even that there are more than one local language. So they know how to do math and commerce and market in more than one language. And right. that to me is amazing. It's brilliant. You that know? is like what some of us <laughs> go to school to figure out how to be able to do. Which is why I'm really yeah. glad that we have these sort of spaces where so many of us, I'm among many, many people of color who are sharing this idea of self-directed education to be at, or living it. Even if for those who are not sharing it, they're living it and really showing the ways that we can start to place value on ourselves. And I love that you started there talking about wanting your daughter to realize that you seeing that she's smart is not going to come from someone outside of her saying it. It's going to come from her knowing it and from your observations from it. And that same thing, we can take that same message and apply it across the board to say we need to start valuing ourselves and our skills more too, like among each other, so that that validation is coming from all over the place for those of us who are not able to tap into it within because we're not having conversations with Moji and people like that, you know, who are reminding us to tap inward. We can validate each other. We can be at a market in Benin or, or in Jamaica or wherever and say, wow, you are amazing. Like to say that to a person, you know? Yes, yes, yes. That's really, that's also part of this project that I'm doing. Why is African women? That's the spirit. It's an organization that is looking into midwifery. Childbirth is being more and more colonized as as even though we are we are now independent in most african in African countries, but the whole process of health care and childbirth is being is being colonized more and more. Mm-hmm. Childbirth is a very um culture it's, it includes a lot of culture and not mm-hmm. just science but just a lot of culture in in the way you birth and by building these clinics and training mid- midwives in the Western education way, you're, they're making a separation. Yes. They're separating and creating an, an environment where some women may want to go to this clinic because it's seen as more Western, but the, then the clinic is it's far away from them. There is harder to get to, and there they get less less care. Normally, you will have a, a midwife come to your home. And that's the the bed, you know, kind of like one on one care. Not much, nothing better than that right. to have that. And also, then the midwife also knows the rituals to do. Their rituals that are surrounding, like ensuring the baby's health. Or a lot of times, elders come around and talk, and you know, just there's a lot of things that are done, yeah. and that then that is also being lost because first they're being trained. Midwives are being trained in Western in Western ways. Yeah, and so they it's Complete disregard to culture. There's right, just because they're going to give you a better option. They're going to civilize you by taking away exactly. basically all of the rituals and, and cultural norms that really yeah, characterize what you do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. my gosh. Replacing <laughs> yeah. culture and norms with certifications, right, with this certificate. Thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So this wise African women will like to, and you know, a lot of that also goes on in the U.S. because yes. there was a naming ceremony that African Americans had before 
the midwives had to now register the child's uh-huh. name and all that. And you had to do within like a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the African-American ritual was, or tradition was like to, make, to have a naming ceremony. Yeah. I think it was seven days just like back home. But now then it changed. So things like that, it happens here too. And also, you know, African-American women going to hospitals, you're going to be in an environment that is mostly white yeah. And that is very, it's an institution. And so it's not a surprise that African-American women are three times more likely to die during birth than white American women. Just because of the institution that you're going in, you're just going to be put into a track. It doesn't matter if people are nice or not. That's not what a lot of people say. Exactly. Oh, my nerves are so nice. Yeah, it's not about being nice it's about the whole. Also, you're just a system that doesn't value you. Exactly, because so it's about can... privilege and power. So when you deal with the individual, you have whatever experience. But when you talk about privilege and power, especially in a setting like a, a hospital, that person can only work within the confines of the system. And if that system isn't set up to place any value around the specifics of varying cultures and not just black cultures, but we are talking about non-white cultures, we just aren't going to get the same care. And those things affect us really, really easily. And these are the reasons what when people say that one of the reasons racism continues is because we constantly talk about race. These are some of the things that come up for me. No, race is a factor everywhere, particularly in the U.S., whether you decide it is or not. You can decide (laughs) that it isn't, but it is. (laughs) It always is a factor. Yes. 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 So why is African women wants to connect all that from all the African diaspora, talk to women of color and midwives, birth workers, doulas, about their experience and just shed some light on how we can decolonize birth and midwifery. And a lot of what I also see, because the way I see things is also, I want to see things from a positive point of view. Because even though these things are going on, rarely do we shed light on how the indigenous ways provide sustainable ways of caring for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to shed light on the negative. I want to really shed light on the positive Mm -hmm. of what we have, of the gems that we have in our culture that we're ignoring and why it is that we're ignoring it. And that's when decolonization comes in, that it is because of this, of, of the colonized mind and the colonized way of doing things that we are ignoring these gems that we have and it's hurting us. I really appreciate that you're talking about if we don't take some active steps to do something about what is left and to take back what is ours. So this feels, Moji, like a really easy segue back into the story of how you got to the point with your daughter where you said, okay, hmm, for now, we are actually going to live school free. When I was in Benet, I, I knew that because I've always known that I wanted to go back and live there. So... I actually, when I was there, I was planning to come back here to go to medical school. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and to go to medical school, it's funny It's funny to me because life has changed so much. And so I was going to go to medical school and then through that, go back to Benet to work as a doctor, open a clinic or whatever. And then, <laughs> and so when I came back, I was like, do I really, because I really, it was hard, tough for me to finish college. Really tough. And me and a friend of mine, we joked. I was like, I went from one plantation to another plantation when I work and went to school. I was like, Mm. from one plantation to another one. And I was like, do I really want to go to 
medical school. That's like the plantation of all plantations. Listen, that's how and, I felt um, about law school. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly how I felt about law school, which is why I was like, eh, never mind. I'm sorry. Thank you for all your yeah. efforts, everyone. Never mind. Yeah, <laughs> it was just like, you know, I don't want to do it. And yeah. the more my time is so precious to me. And since going there and see, I don't know, I started to value like who I have around me, mm. what what I do with my time because I, I so enjoy that time over there. Yeah. And I really wanted to start to build that kind of feeling in my life here and from now on to yeah. just be around things that are really inspire me and that I don't want to be like stressed. I don't want to be really constantly in the head of like, oh, I can't believe this is, you know, like that negative yeah. feeling. Yeah. I don't want that for and I got two letters of rejection. And I was like, oh, man, maybe what if I don't even get into any school? Mm. And so then I started to really think about it. And then I decided that I don't even want that. The more I thought about it, the more I was like, I don't want to spend four to eight more years of my life in this in that kind of environment. Yeah. And I'm starting to really look into and value indigenous healthcare. The reason why I wanted to go to med school was to be an OBGYN so that I could be the doctors that I don't see, you know, mm. but I, I don't want to do that because I tried to be the teacher that I didn't see and I, I didn't like being in the schools. Right. Now do I want to like be the, <laughs> it's like to simulate the same there. system. Right. Right. Yeah. That's the same reason. Like when people say, well, why didn't you, why don't you just homeschool? And it's like, well, for us, we don't want to simulate the same environment. We don't even want to work within that same framework at all that that's why I, I transitioned yeah. from feeling like okay I believe in education reform because that's one way and now Moji I totally don't I'm more of the opinion that we need to create multiple things that make that shit irrelevant that if somebody wants to go fine mm -hmm. but it's just not a primary factor because we're not focused on trying to fix it we are focused on as you said sustainable ways to take yes. care of ourselves across the board including learning yes yeah Mm -hmm. and so the more I changed my lifestyle, so, you know, I, I got out of the school mentality and started to really focus on me and how to create the environment and the life that I want, the harder it was for me to keep taking center to school. And I already was, I've always thought about unschooling and homeschooling. Actually, I never thought about homeschooling. I always thought about unschooling. And, um, you know, I've being connected to you. I've read your work. I used to read your blog when you were Executive Mama. <laughs> Back in the day. And so, <laughs> wow. So, yeah. So, and I've read, I've been hearing and I've been in the back of my mind. It's been there. And finally, you know, it was just like, it, it was just harder to do it than to not do it. And also because my daughter was also not enjoying it. And so, it was just easier. And then when I talked to her and I'm like, you know, what if you don't go to school anymore? And she was like, okay. So then he was started, started missing days. One day I don't feel like going, so I'm not going to go. And yeah. so we just like, all right, we'll just stop. Yeah. And so I did what I needed to do to do that. Yeah. And how long yeah, has that been yeah. so, so far? We're recording in the middle of December of 2016. How long has it been? Oh, it's only, it's been since October. Yeah. And how is it so far? Mm -hmm. Like what, if you were to sense. say one, one primary thing that you're observing so far, which I, I'm sure there are many, but 
Can you tell us one specific thing that you're observing so far? They're getting closer, for sure. We talk about things on a much deeper level. Yeah. You know, conversations are, are just more of it and on a deeper level. Even with my family, who some of my family are completely against <laughs> unschooling. And I see that they are having deeper conversations because they're forced to. They can't just be like, oh, how was school? <laughs> um, they're like, well, then. <laughs> and the other day she wanted to interview me. So ah. she interviewed me and then she, I know she likes to do that. She's going to interview her grandparents next. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, but then at the end, she asked me if I had any questions for her. And yeah, so I asked her how she likes unschooling. Mm-hmm. And her reaction, what she thinks about it. And she said she likes it because she sees everyday things. Like she said, she sees people ironing. And I realized that it's because my mom lives with us. So she, my mom sews also. So she got to see the whole process of her making this. I don't know what she was making, but she was sewing something. And that stuck with her, you know, just seeing her doing the ironing and that so ties in beautifully to when you were talking about you being a lot more deliberate after your trip home realizing and also deciding that you're going to spend your time a lot more mindfully that it was really important what you were doing with your time not necessarily the end game but like how you were spending your time moment by moment and by recognizing that and then trusting yourself and that feeling that your daughter didn't need to be in school to learn now you've given her access to that same thing now she can see her grandmother sewing a thing that is typically passed down from a family member in terms yes. of like culturally how beautiful is that now that she gets to see that firsthand instead of like looking at it in a page in her textbook and being like, hmm, that's interesting. That's powerful mm-hmm. to me. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's the little things, but they're they're really big. They're really yes. big. Yeah. Yes. And now you get to see what those things are for her, too. I remember a very similar feeling with my girls when they when they first started. And when they did, Sage, who's the youngest, was like maybe four. Uh, maybe she was five or six or something like that. And it was a similar thing. She just liked to watch little things like packing the dishwasher, (laughs) you know, those sort of things (laughs) that she got so excited about much more than she would doing anything in class. And then we realized she was really into the kitchen. And then we realized she was really into Mm. cooking. And then we realized she was really Mm. into like food styling and all of these different things (laughs) that I've never even heard of. As a result of just Mm -hmm. watching her play and explore right in our house. This is before we even started like traveling long term. You know what I mean? It's, it's amazing. Yes. So I'm really grateful for, for your voice in the space. And I would love to really have you back on because the Wise African Women Project, that's something that I, I, you know, as I've told you before, you totally have my support around because decolonization happening anywhere. It's really important to be part of that personally. I want to be part of that, whether it's sharing the message or looking at ways to be just a part of moving that engine forward. And I'm so grateful for you with all of the talents that you have, that you are deciding to pour them into ways for us to liberate ourselves. And as you said, sustainable ways to take care of ourselves Mm -hmm. by knowing and celebrating aspects of our indigenous selves. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yes. So Moji, for those of us who want to stay in touch with you and maybe find out more about the projects that are online for you, where can we reach out? 
you can reach out to me uh, at Little by Little Birth. That's an Instagram handle. Also, Mojikatu is my personal Instagram handle. So through that, you can get in touch with me. There's also my website, my business website, littlebylittlebirth.com. And I'll put all of those in the show notes page as well. I really appreciate you. And I know that a lot of you listening, because you've shared with me, how this term decolonization, like realizing how decolonization is happening and things that we can do to extricate ourselves and our children from those environments. I know that's important to you too, which is why I wanted to have Moji just sort of share the broad strokes of her story. So thank you so much on behalf of myself and all my listeners here, Moji, for sharing your story with us. Thank you. And thank you for all you're doing to us. I love listening to this podcast. Thank you. Check out AkilaSRichards.com forward slash Moji, M like Mary, O-J-I, to stay in touch with Moji. Thanks for listening to Farah the Free Child podcast. Like the show? Then show your love or give your feedback at AkilaSRichards.com.